the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back together. Boy, I can't tell you how happy I am to be back with you. So many folks, by the way, listen to this program as a podcast. I've got a friend of mine named Chip. Uh, who listens uh, and in fact he was that's how he flagged I think that I was not um, I wasn't doing the show I was off the podcast and so he said what's going on over there uh, so uh, lots of folks listening please visit proamericareport.com do a search for the Pro America Report uh, iTunes and everywhere else and get the show as a podcast and pass it on to other people you know I, there are lots of pieces I tell you this one hour program it turns into a podcast of a I don't know about 50 minutes 45 minutes it um, the program airs, of course, on the answer. Uh, excuse me, the answer, San Diego, the Great Salem Radio Network station out of San Diego. But people will pass it around, and and I like to tell you there are four parts to every program. One is the wink, what you need to know, which is what I see and can tell, and uh, and and sometimes what is hidden from sight uh, by the fake news media and others. That's the first segment. Always, that's this one we're in right now. The second segment, second and third segment, are always interviews. Sometimes interviews with famous people, politicians. Sometimes they're authors. I do enjoy uh, getting authors on there. When you get a guy like Brandon Weikert to spend uh, 10 minutes talking about not just his book, uh, uh, but also when, when the books he's writing. He's uh, Yesterday, I think we talked to him, and he's got two more books down in the pipeline. Um, and his book, Winning Space, is very compelling, Republic Book uh, Publishers. And, uh, but you get a guy like him talking. It's not so much about his book. It's what else he's seeing. Writers, good writers who have important books, they see things differently than we do. It's one of the reasons why writing is so important. If you can write it down, if you can write down what you're thinking and feeling and knowing and make it concise and make it clear, not even concise, it will become concise as you try to make it clear. If you could do that, you, you will have clearer thoughts and it will be compelling to people. So that's, that's one of the things we do. But that's the second and third segment. And the last segment, we call it the window, what you need to do. And I'm a little less disciplined on that. Sometimes I'll talk about uh, a book review yesterday and, uh, and uh, Julie Kelly's book. But that's what it is. So this is four segments. So go again, ProAmericaReport.com. Check it out right there. All right, so the wink, what you need to know, W-Y-N-K, every day. 8 a.m. East Coast time, an email goes out. It's the wink. It goes out to, I don't know, just under 80,000 uh, email addresses. doesn't cost you a nickel. Go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there. All I do, I don't sell your email address. I don't trade it. I don't try to uh, get you to uh, buy nutraceuticals. Nothing. I just send you an email with a couple of links and a couple of key points to try to help us see what's happening, and understand what we need to know in the face of so much uh, crazy fake news and, and the power of uh, the narrative machine, big media, big tech, and big government to try to change what we're seeing. So uh, go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there. All right, so today's wink, what you need to know. I want to hit pro-life. 
And I want to hit pro-life and talk about the life issues and the importance of it this week, because as we get towards the weekend, there will be the celebration, the terrible celebration of the terrible anniversary of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, 1973 cases that created out of whole cloth a right to abortion based in a right to privacy. Total nonsense, totally made up and, and just total craziness. And it's been exposed as really just created, just made up out of whole cloth by the judges at the time and actually the justices at the time. And more importantly, they're in some sense, the clerks. And so what you need to know as we're headed towards the anniversary in a few days, there'll be lots of commemoration. But here's the here's a here's a framework. Here's a filter I want to put into your head. Follow the money. Follow the money. We've done this before. We talk about, oh, well, you know, big, uh, big pharma. You talk about big business. Follow the money, right? Why is it that the Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, supports massive immigration? Because their members, big corporations generally, like cheaper labor. Follow the money. Why is it that the uh, higher education institutions are more liberal and support the growth of government, especially through Fannie Mae uh, and uh, and the loan uh, industry, uh, uh, not Fannie Mae, uh, the uh, the um, student loan industry. Why is that? Because they get billions. The endowments of the universities are in the billions now because they can sign up students to come to their schools. The loans will be guaranteed and paid for by government, and ultimately. It's a problem for those loan authorities to get the money back from the students, not the universities. So you see, in the last 25 to 30 years, universities have grown in size, buildings and, uh, and campuses and faculty and tenure and diversity officers, et cetera, et cetera. Follow the money. When it comes to the life movement, or say it more cynically, the abortion movement, follow the money. Planned Parenthood gets massive amounts of money to support their efforts. Democrat politicians and a few uh, liberal Republicans get massive amounts of money to have pro-abortion positions. Now, many of them are, in my opinion, murderous ideologues. I mean, some of them, a lot of them are. They believe they've been brainwashed and they're into believing evil things like abortion is okay. But a lot of them are propped up in a system where tens of thousands of people in every single state are employed by the Planned Parenthood apparatus and its affiliated partners, funded primarily through taxpayer dollars. I should be a little clearer. I don't know if they're funded primarily through, meaning only that. I know that the massive amounts of money. It's hard to see much transparency on Planned Parenthood to know exactly where else they get their money, but I don't think so. I mean, in states, tens of millions of dollars in states and hundreds of millions of dollars from the federal government get transferred to Planned Parenthood and their affiliates. Now, be clear, they're not sending a check to do abortions, but money's fungible. They're sending tens of millions in the states and hundreds of millions from the federal government to do education and counseling and support for uh, all those kinds of things. And by the way, down the hall, abortions being done. And by the way, down the hall, the same building that is being subsidized by our tax dollars to do counseling, quote unquote, they're doing abortions, 
right? So money's fungible. You could have an executive director of Planned Parenthood who can say with a straight face, only 18% of my budget goes for abortion. The other bunch of money goes to do XYZ, PDQ, education, community outreach. Money is fungible. The apparatus is a political apparatus. Follow the money and understand that you're not just trying to save babies when you're understanding what's going on. You're actually having to drain the swamp because the swamp has developed a system over the past 45, 50 years since the abortion issue became hot, that has used tax dollars. And, and you know, uh, I, I'll often talk to my wife about this, um, and we'll talk, and she'll get mad. She'll say, why is it that the pro-abortion groups are able to get in behind Planned Parenthood, and they can be the conduit? You know, Planned Parenthood is like the, the, the Amazon or the Walmart of abortion. Everybody that wants to get close to you know the products and selling just goes through Planned Parenthood because they get the money and on the pro-life side primarily because we don't ask on the conservative side you don't really want government money because it ends up with government intrusion ends up with government interference ends up with a requirement of government you don't ask for government money so Planned Parenthood gets all the money funneled through they have control and they become what a massive swamp monster a creation of the swamp that supports what Well, tens of thousands of jobs, hundreds of thousands nationwide, and tens of thousands of politicians and candidates and uh, 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 elected officials and, excuse me, and bureaucrats. They will make sure, oh, you're a bureaucrat at X level? You can come to a conference. We'll pay your way. It'll be a conference on counseling and education around these issues paid for by an affiliate of Planned Parenthood. Watch the money. Follow the money. And you will see that the power of the pro-abortion movement is our tax dollars. And one of the great betrayals of the last 15 years was when the Republicans got into the House and Senate and the presidency under Trump with Paul Ryan as speaker. And they didn't defund Planned Parenthood. Now, again, money's fungible. Once you defund Planned Parenthood by name, they're going to change their name, right? This is, remember, Acorn? Acorn was doing voter fraud back in the uh, early part of this uh, century, early 2000s. And they got exposed. I think it was Project Veritas, among others, an earlier version of that. And they just changed their name and kept going. You didn't really stop them from doing anything. So you've you got to be careful when you say defund Planned Parenthood. What you mean is you have to drain the swamp. You have to drain the swamp. I'll give you a quick story. When I became chief of staff to the governor of Missouri, one of the things that the pro-life governor of Missouri, Governor Matt Blunt, he was a pro-life guy. And he was a, a new, there had been uh, for, I guess, what, uh, eight years, there had been a Democrat before him. I think that's right. Carnahan, uh, Governor Carnahan, he passed away. And for a couple months, it was Governor Wilson. Actually, and, and, um, and uh, I think Governor Holden. So it was 12 years. So it's 12 years of, of Democrats. And so there are lots of bureaucrats who were there for 12 years, right? That's a long time. You can start your career and be long into it when you're still under the same uh, party. And so Governor Blunt, who was a uh, pro-life, I became chief of staff uh, a year or so into his administration. And one of the things that I had to get my arms around was the size of the bureaucracy. 
And one of the things that we had to figure out was, yeah, you got to appoint the cabinet secretary and sometimes usually the undersecretary. So the top two or three positions, maybe the, the, the head of the department, the, the deputy head, uh, the general counsel, uh, the PR person, you know, the top four or five people would be government uh, governor's appointees. But the rest were bureaucrats. And a lot of times they were competent. You, you know, you go into, say, the Department of Public Safety and you replace the head of the Department of Public Safety with somebody who's pro-law enforcement. I can picture the guy who, we, uh, who was there, a great guy. I forget his name, I'm sorry to say. And you, but, but you go down a few rungs, and there's a guy or gal who's run the safety division of uh, something, and they're very competent. And they, and they are not really ideological, as far as you can tell. As far as you can tell. Anyway, so I'll finish this story. I'm going too long. What we discovered was that there were places where bureaucrats were in charge, keeping their head down, and things were happening that shouldn't have happened. One of the things we discovered was that federal money was coming to Missouri, and it was being passed through by a bureaucrat to Planned Parenthood or an affiliate. I forget the name of the affiliate. And we said, what is going on here? And the bureaucrat's defense was, oh, we were doing this before. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do it. And we fired the guy. I mean, he knew we weren't supposed to be doing it, but we got rid of him. Uh, I think it was a guy, it might have been a woman, but we got rid of the person who was doing that. And my point here is, when you talk about draining the swamp, it's not just a line item on the budget. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. And on the other side, the left, the communist left in this country, they have the mindset. They have the mindset to target their enemies. They have the mindset to install the bureaucrats. After Obama, uh, after Clinton lost to Trump, I heard the story about the State Department where the Obama administration quickly hired and trans- transitioned a bunch of people from uh, appointee positions, you know, government appointee positions to career positions in the Department of State, State Department, so that they could stay. And they were very liberal. And I don't know how true that was. I've never seen it written up. But again, it's uh, it's certainly consistent with understanding what the system is. So I'll finish with this. What you need to know is if you're going to be pro-life and you're going to recognize what's happening on the program a day or so ago, Teresa Barbale, who is a pro-life activist, she was talking about how the, the move to promote abortion has gone to male mailing chemical abortion to young women. If you understand what the shift is and what's happening, you have to understand the mindset. And the mindset is drain the swamp, not just defund, not just change a law. By the way, the mindset is change hearts and minds to be pro-life. That's what you'll hear from Janet Porter and a minute and others. Change hearts and minds. Heartbeat bill makes a big difference. But then you better understand you got to drain the swamp too. All right, I got to run. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We got Janet Porter talking pro life and a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. As I've been saying, so glad to be back and doing the radio show. And part of that is I catch up with my old friends. One of them is Ted Malik, and Ted is on a frequent guest. He was on with Andrea Kay a few weeks ago, and he is a man of uh, well, he's a man of great letters. He's writing columns often at AmericanGreatness.com. But before that, he wrote a number of books, including one which I have on my shelf, shelf, Ted, uh, that's called My Life Behind the Elite Curtain as a global Sherpa, and it specifically talks about how uh, Ted Malik, this uh, uh, PhD professor, businessman, all this kind of stuff, had over the years had become someone who ended up in these 
places like Davos. And of course, Davos is meeting again. So I thought we'd visit that and talk about some other things and otherwise catch up like two old friends. So welcome, Ted. How are you? Well, Happy New Year. It's good to hear your voice, Ed, and know that you're doing well. I, I must say at the beginning, I had a little bit more than an inkling of interest in Davos because I was actually on the executive board of the oh, wow. World Economic Forum. So I wow. have insider's inside view. Well, so Ted, let me ask you that because you're, you, as a young man, I'd say, right, you come up and you're very successful as a businessman, you're writing books, you've got all this, I mean, even a diplomat, and, and you mentioned, okay, you're on the board there. You, you didn't you, you didn't come up thinking this is these people are all crazy, right? These are talented people. These are people with lots of uh, opportunities to do good things, not only bad things. So what's the sort of reality of of Davos? Well, Davos started quite innocently as a mad professor's idea, bringing European CEOs together in a management forum to talk about how they could be more you know, effective and more innovative companies. It has evolved a long way from that point. Uh, and um, I would say, indeed, today it is the pinnacle of globalism. Um, and we're talking with Ted Malik, And again, uh, I, I love that. I do love that book because it's uh, it's one that's uh, so unique. Um, in fact, the photograph on there, Ted, on the cover of that is uh, young Ted Malik, which also makes me smile. So what's happening at Davos now uh, when they gather in Davos? Are these, um, you know, and the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I work, she she wrote about the early Bilderbergers meetings uh, and, and sh- are they hatching plans to shape the world economy is it as is it as um is it as conspiracy laden as they're actually talking like that or is it that they're interlock interlocking power structures or such that they are accomplishing that do you see what i mean well i think it's far more conspiratorial than any uh pundit or any commentator has led on um First of all, you become a member of the World Economic Forum, and that costs you a lot. Probably costs you, I think, presently about $80,000 to be a member. Hmm. If you want to go to Davos, you have to pay over and above that. If you want to do a report with Davos and have your company associated with it, we're talking about millions of dollars. So it, it's quite a nice cash cow. It's all run as a Swiss foundation. And somebody sitting at the top of that one, Klaus Schwab, the mad professor I mentioned, now 80 years old, is uh, ringing that cash register. But yes, it is a place where now, over the decades, people have gotten together, both publicly and privately. So a lot happens behind closed doors to discuss uh, the world economic situation, where they can intervene, to do deals, to exchange uh, ideas, and obviously to foment different kinds of policies. This year, of course, with COVID and last year as well, they were not able to meet in person in Davos. Davos being, if if your listeners don't know, a small Swiss um, elite ski village in the Hmm. eastern part of Graubunden, which is a canton in Switzerland, which is actually quite beautiful and, and quite scenic. How many times did you go over the years, Ted? Oh, about a half a dozen times. I was wow. on the board for three years. Wow. Was, of course, living in Switzerland from 1988 to 1992 when they tried to uh, capture me 
so to speak. Uh, I, I was a uh, an American diplomat, the deputy executive secretary of the UN Economic Commission for Europe, and Klaus Schwab roped me into his doings hmm. uh, because of two things. He wanted Americans involved at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, you can't have a world economic discussion with just Europeans. Right. So I helped him rope in those uh, American CEOs. And they wanted to have, uh, what could I say, a special emphasis, which, of course, they've succeeded at having on financial services with big banks, investment banks, hedge funds, and all those people with money. Hmm. I, I knew that world. Hmm. Fascinating. Again, the book, uh, Ted Malik. we're talking with Ted Malik, and his book is My Life Behind the Elite Curtain is a Global Sherpa, all about that uh, time. All right, Ted, let me transition. You mentioned Happy New Year. It's the first time we're talking in the new year. And in the last, I don't know, a couple of days, we've seen unbelievable numbers. Um, the, even the White House is pushing back, trying to dispute uh, Quinnip- Quinnipiac poll and others. But the one that struck me uh, is the description that about a year ago, generically, the generic ballot, so-called, the Democrats. Democrats would have had a five or six point edge. People would have said, I'm a Democrat, you know, by 47 to 42 or something like that. It's completely flipped. And my question for you, uh, we're talking with Ted Malik, who, you know, you're you're observed and participated in some sense in, you know, political life for the last 40 or 50 years. Is this 1994 we're going into? Is it 2010? Is it is it something we can't recognize? I mean, is Joe Biden? Um an anchor, a, a weight around the Democrat Party? Is it? I, what are we seeing? I mean, it, it's, it seems to me it's off the charts right now. Of course, we're 10 months from an election, 11 months from an election. Who knows what we'll get? Well, it's unprecedented probably in American politics to have such uh, uh, an unable and, frankly, senile president with these consequences in the first year. We, I mean, we still have to suffer through three more years of his presidency, which is unthinkable. I mean, Mitt Romney, you know, no friends of the Republicans, I think, a rhino, said on the Sunday shows that it was 52 weeks in a row, uh, you know, a whole year of bad weeks. I, I would go further in having known Joe Biden when he was in the Senate and worked in the Senate myself on the staff of the Foreign Relations Committee. I would say it's in excess of 47 years of bad years of Joe Biden. So <laughs> I, I, I would not have expected anything much more than this. So it is, in, in fact, you know, a, a very deleterious time for, for America, for American foreign policy, for the American economy. And I, I, mean, I, I mean, I've certainly written a lot about how we can get rid of Joe Biden. And I think that the 2022 elections will be, a, you know, a landslide. I predicted already 85 seats, so a massive, massive turning. And I think we retake the Senate by four to six seats as well. But the fact is, we have this very, very dangerous situation now with everything that Biden has touched, just the opposite of the Midas touch. The Biden touch has turned everything to stone. Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik. Ted is the, um, but it, 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 the thing that's the thing that is most damning in a way is I, I don't think Biden has any ability to try to change it. Maybe Obama couldn't in 2010 either. The the trend line, 
But the fundamentals are off. And, and let me, in other words, we're going to see inflation. Nothing's going to change that. We're now seeing F- Fed, Federal Reserve nominee, nominees that are even more left wing than anybody ever expected. Or And it looks like Schumer's going to go along with it. Probably he's afraid of a, a primary. I mean, uh, we're 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 not just risking the Democrat Party failing. We're risking the American economy failing at this point. I think we are. And as I said, dire straits, we're going to have uh, between four and seven interest rate hikes in this year. Now, if your listeners can figure out what that means, it's going to be very hard on consumers. It's going to be on, on anyone who has a loan, anyone who has a mortgage, anyone who has an auto loan, a credit card. These are going to be tightening times. Lay on top of that, the amount of inflation that we have, which is the highest in 40 years, and I think there's every every semblance that this is not going to be a temporary phenomenon, that in fact it's going to go on for a couple of years. It's going to be a very difficult time. Some people who are very knowledgeable in the market are actually saying very harsh things right now, these weeks, about where the stock market is going and what you should do with your assets. So I think there's going to be a punishing time here, not just for the American economy, but for the global economy. All right. Well, Ted, it's great to be back on with you. Um, I, it's been too long, and I'm sorry I was away. So Ted Malik, everybody, I'll put up on social media his book on uh, being a global Sherpa. It makes me smile. The title's even better. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again soon, Ted. Thank you. I, I do have an article coming out on Friday in American Greatness. Oh, good. It's very confessional. It's called My Time in the Tank. <laughs> it's about my going before the Mueller grand jury. And I've never told this story before. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll have you on to talk about that one too. That's great. Thanks for the preview. All right. We'll look forward to it. Thanks, Ted. Ted Malik, everybody. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a few months uh, since I spoke with Lan He Chen. Lan He Chen is uh, someone who has been active in policy nationally, uh, has been active in academia over at uh, Stanford, and he is now a candidate uh, for controller. Uh, you can go to ChenForCalifornia.com, C-H-E-N for California.com. Uh, Lan He Chen, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hey, Ed, thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. Well, and and looking back a little bit, only for a moment, uh, how did you think the uh, recall went? I mean, I think many of us thought there was more, there would be more evidence of dissatisfaction in the po- in the numbers. How did you read what happened? Well, I think when the recall was focused on uh, what Gavin Newsom had done and his failed leadership in California. Uh, obviously, people responded uh, and they expressed their concerns and the the recall looked like it had some viability. And of course, what Newsom did and what his allies did was predictable. Uh, they they made it a, um, a, a cynical play instead of being a referendum on his performance because he, he knew his performance was indefensible. Uh, what he did essentially was to was to turn it into an election about anything other than what was going on in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and once you do that, you know, um, oftentimes, unfortunately, the raw politics of California, it's generally a, a you know, progressive state. Those things tend to take over. Uh, and, and so, uh, again, I think 
what it does tend to hide, you know, people can look at the recall results and say, oh, well, it's a blowout. There's no way that a reformer will ever be able to win in California. And I say that's nonsense. That in reality, if you look at what the public opinion polling and data shows us, it's that when the question is focused on the performance of the incumbents, when it's focused on the performance of Democrats who have run this state for the last 15 years, uh, people are frustrated with rising crime. They are frustrated with the cost of living going up. They are frustrated with the homelessness problem getting worse. And so these are the sorts of issues that we have to focus on when we think about how to reclaim uh, power and how to how to reclaim positions of responsibility in California. And, and so I think that's really the lesson here, Ed, is we need to focus the argument on the failures of the one-party monopoly in Sacramento and really hold them to account for that. Uh, we're talking again with Lan He Chen. Again, his website is chenforcalifornia.com. He's running for California controller. Um, if you look at his background, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm, I always like seeing there's nice photos of you and your uh, wife and two children. I'm sure that's the center of your world, but he's a, a businessman. He's been, as I mentioned, in and out of government and academia, serving where it makes sense um, and now is running. Uh, now, it, it's better to be, it's better to have good timing than bad. Um, you must be looking at sort of What's happening in the country? I, and I'll give you two th- snapshots. U-Haul announced that they had more people moving out of California to other places. U-Haul, the, the towing company or the the, the uh, moving company. And of course, then the Biden, Joe Biden's numbers are historically upside down faster than anybody thought. A year ago, you know, it was Democrats generic ballot in the country was, uh, you know, Democrats by five or six points. It's flipped completely. I, how do you feel? 2022, you mentioned are, are people in California, are the citizens looking up and saying, yeah, we see it. Or I hate to say it, will they be, I don't know, uh, you know, kind of uh, brainwashed or flummoxed by tens of millions of dollars uh, telling them something that's not true? Well, Ed, I think this is why it's super important for those of us who are looking to, to gain public office and public trust to make the argument and, and say, listen, you know, do you like the way things are going? Do you believe things are headed in the right direction? You know, the U-Haul story is a funny one. I got a, a, a story to tell on that. I actually had a friend who was moving uh, out of state from California to a, a, a different part of the country. And it was actually cheaper for him to go to Arizona, rent a U-Haul, drive it back to California, <laughs> and then drive it out of the state than wow. it was to actually get a, a, a truck here in California to move out. And I, I don't I have to believe that that story is not unusual. But right. listen, I, I think more broadly, you ask about the national environment. And, and what's absolutely clear is that you have massive inflationary pressure that is putting a, a lot of challenges to households in terms of how folks are making their budgets when we see wages outpaced by inflation. The supply chain uh, issues continue to mean that we're not getting access to goods and services at affordable costs. And then, and then more broadly, I think, unfortunately, President Biden has become a, you know, a, a far left progressive ideologue as opposed to uh, you know, the, what he campaigned on. I think he campaigned as a moderate problem solver. And it turns out that he's actually been a far left progressive um, uh, element of his party. And when it look, you look at policy, you look at the things he's supported, by and large, they are things that are supported by the far left wing of his party, a greater government involvement in the healthcare system, uh, a federal takeover of voting rights, all of these things that 
you know, as as uh, people who are who are on the right side of the political spectrum or people who are on the center right look at it and they say, listen, this is not what uh, what he campaigned on. So all of these things together, I do think, create an environment that is favorable for people who are looking to make the argument for change like I am, why it is that it's important for us in California to have a different pathway forward. So uh, overall, I think, look, the, the timing for reformers is excellent right now. Right. Right. We're talking with Lanhee Chen. Again, if you go to uh, Chen for California.com, his website, um, you, there's a lot there, um, including his uh, positions on issues and, and more on him. Um, Lanhee, one thing I did look at when preparing for this was the controller, you know, mo- People don't know if you say, ah, the auditor where I'm from, Missouri, the auditor, what's the auditor do? And you got to go find out what the auditor does. The control of California is actually set up as an independent office that's supposed to track taxpayer money. Now, because the system has been one party rule, it feels like I'm, I'm only guessing, but it feels like the controller has sort of just been a rubber stamp because at least in the last few years, the situation has happened where the controller's office can't even say where not three hundred dollars, but like three hundred billion dollars went out. I guess it was four years ago or so. In other words, it's just sort of been well, you know, it's like uh, in Chicago. I imagine when Mayor Daley was in there for 40 years, it didn't matter who the treasurer of Chicago was. He was going to do whatever Daley was saying. Is that what it feels like? And I guess here the question is, I mean, is what it feels like what's true? And then when you if you're if you're the controller, what are the tools? Is your tool to um, uh, to get more accountability, sort of public transparency, or does the controller actually can the controller go in and I don't know, uh, invoke something and say, we're going to stop this? I mean, how what's the powers of this office? Well, it, it's a tremendously important office, Ed. And I like to say, listen, the, the controller should be a watchdog, not a lapdog. <laughs> and unfortunately, too, too often in recent history, you have had controllers who have not exercised the independent watchdog authority of the office. Uh, the, the case I make, look, very simply, do you want the person who's watching over the spending to be the same political interest, to have the same political interest as the one writing the checks? And in any corporate setting, in any setting across America that's not government, you would want an independent figure watching over the spending to make sure things are going the right way. And that's that's my basic argument for why we need change in California. In terms of the powers of the office, look, you have the ability to audit any program of state government at any time for any reason and identify malfeasance. You have the ability to stand up against spending that is not authorized, that is somehow uh, not proper or illegal, including, by the way, Ed, you can take the extreme step of denying payment as controller. Oh, you can wow. say, hey, look. This contract was formed illegally. We actually have an example of this in recent history where our current U.S. Senator in California, Alex Padilla, diverted money that was intended to go for electoral outreach. He took that money and sent it to a PR firm where some of his buddies worked. And the controller actually said, you know, that's so extreme. We really can't pay that. Now, of course, what the legislature then did is they went and passed a law to make that legal. Of course, that's what the legislature (laughs) in California does. But the basic point is this, Ed. If you've got a controller who's using this power judiciously, and look, I'm a believer in the rule of law. I don't think we should be using this power willy-nilly. But if you've got examples of spending that are clearly illegal or clearly go beyond the bounds of the contracts that were established, you don't have to pay them. And so the controller is a very, very powerful office with the potential to be a real defender of 
taxpayer interests. And that's really why I think this office to me is so appealing to be able to stand up for California's taxpayers and say, listen, enough is enough. We need to stand up for fiscal sanity and fiscal responsibility in our state. Well, and again, Lanhee Chen is who we're talking to. He's running for California controller. Uh, go to ChenForCalifornia.com. If you look at his bio, you'll see in his service at one point, he was one of the watchdogs on making sure that the Social Security uh, wasn't raided and wasn't uh, lost. I mean, you talk about things that you have to figure out how to do. So, uh, uh, Lanhee, real quick now, just a minute or so left. What's the timeline? You, you, the race is in the fall. Uh, tell me the primary. Tell me what the lay of the land is. What's just give me a yeah. we're January, early January. What's what's the next uh, 10 or 11 months look like? Well, we, we've got a top two primary jungle primary in California where all the people run against each other, regardless of party. And that election is set for early June. And I'll tell you, uh, Ed, the race is shaping up very well. I'm the only Republican or independent in the race. Uh, we've got a bunch of Democrats who are running, uh, frankly, all of them with with records that are either very troubling or demonstrate no real record of accomplishment. And so I, I feel very good about the setup for this race. We've got to get into that top two in June. And then if we are, it's going to be head up as we go into the November general election. And, and so we're going to be out there making the argument that California needs a watchdog, that we need change and we need accountability. And as you noted earlier, visit my website, chenforcalifornia.com, C-H-E-N-F-O-R, California.com to find out more about my campaign and what we're trying to do here. That's great. Okay, Lanny, we'll, we'll talk again, I'm sure, beforehand, but good luck in this time. And uh, certainly seems like the right uh, cycle to be running. So uh, uh, best wishes, and we'll talk again. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Ed. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. When an Antifa protester used an axe to violently crash through Republican North Dakota U.S. Senator John Hoven's office window, the attacker received a sentence of merely probation and a very small fine. He even got to have his axe returned to him. His attack was captured on video, and there was no doubt about his guilt. But when a peaceful man engages in a pro-Trump rally inside the Capitol on January 6th and makes every apology imaginable afterward to the sentencing court, he receives a shocking 41-month prison sentence. He'd already been held in jail for nearly a year before ever receiving the trial to which he was entitled. His real offense, and those of the others receiving long prison sentences, is to dare to humiliate the pompous deep state in Washington, D.C. The message is clear. Do not embarrass the swamp creatures, or else they'll retaliate as harshly as they can. But while the January 6th protesters were unconstitutionally denied bail to remain free pending a trial, liberal defendants are often freed on minimal bail. The man who drove his SUV into a crowd at a Christmas parade in Wisconsin late last year, killing five and wounding 40, had recently been released on merely $1,000 bail despite his arrest for allegedly running over his girlfriend. A Soros-affiliated prosecutor allowed the Wisconsin massacre to happen. Yet the left is silent about allowing murderers free on bail while imprisoning political protesters indefinitely and without bail. This is just a small taste of what the American judicial system is capable of if left in the wrong hands. Think about it. What area of life is beyond a power-hungry judge's discretion? Phyllis Schlafly warned for years that family courts were overruling the rights of parents on the phony notion that judges know what's in the best interest of the child more than the parents do. If the judiciary can rip apart our families, 
Nothing is beyond their reach. Reigning in the judiciary should be a top priority for conservatives. From the lowest family court to the U.S. Supreme Court, the black-robed elites need to know that we, the people, can see right through their veil of self-proclaimed impartiality. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we got to wrap things up. I just have a little bit over a minute. So let me say what you need to do. Today's window. What you need to do is I need you to go and I need you to check out the March for Life website. Okay, the March for Life has a website in Washington, D.C. It's called marchforlife.org. March, as in M-A-R-C-H, 4-F-O-R, life.org, marchforlife.org. Here's my tip on this. You don't have to go to the March for Life to care about it. You don't have to go to the March for Life to uh, help promote it. And maybe more importantly, there'll be tens of thousands of people gathering in Washington, D.C., for the March for Life, probably up to 100,000. It's always tough because it's January. It's pretty cold and school's on and all. But the National March for Life, it's special. And I just want to encourage you to, here's what you need to do about it. Pray about it. I want you to be a, someone who is thinking about the reality of all these people gathering for this great cause and put it in your prayers and good thoughts and watch for the coverage. There won't be any coverage. They, there could be a march of 10,000 people about, um, you know, uh, cheese on the moon, and the media would cover it. They won't do that for this. So you got to find it. But keep it in your thoughts and prayers and pay attention, all right? Uh, that's what you need to do, the window today. Hey, thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great uh, producer, Joanna Spilger for booking our guests, and you all for listening. Be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.